So I think I mentioned before that uh, my family pitched in, they got a whole bunch of people to pitch in, and they bought Ros and I uh, a wood-fired pizza oven for our sort of joint 50th birthdays. Our birthdays are a few months apart, but they sort of uh, bought it and, and gave it to us somewhere in between. And, and as a result, I'm now uh, sort of diving deep into the uh, science and the art of trying to make the perfect wood-fired pizza. You know the way it is, like pizza just used to be pizza, but now I've got a wood-fired pizza oven. And uh, so I find myself watching series on Netflix that are just about pizza. <laughs> these things exist, like a six-part series just interviewing all these pizza gurus from across the world and trying to unpack their secrets and, and, and how they do things. And, and here's the one thing that I've learned, the one thing that's consistent across anyone, any sort of pizza guru you hear talking about the secret to make a great pizza. They all say this, it's all about the dough. It's all about the base. A great pizza is all about the base. None of them ever talk about how amazing the toppings are. If you put the best toppings on a horrible pizza base, it doesn't work. And I guess vice versa, you can take kind of average, you know, run-of-the-mill pizza toppings. You put on a perfect pizza base that just comes out great and the world's a happy place, right? Um, and, and there's a lot of things in life that are sort of like that, aren't they? That, that there's just some essence, there's some, there's some part of something. that If you get this right, everything else... Everything else sort of works out okay. Um, I like to cook and I know um, I've heard numbers of people talking about uh, pasta and pasta's kind of the same way. You talk to any great sort of uh, Italian pasta maker and they'll always tell you it's all about the pasta, the actual dough, right? It's never, it's never about the toppings and the tomatoes and the whatever else you use. A great pasta's always about, you know, well-made pasta, well-cooked and well-made pasta. And I think there's lots of things in life that are like that, as I said, that have, that have something in their core or their essence or their heart that if you get that right. And, and we talk about this sort of thing all the time. You know, there are, there are books and TV shows in our language. We talk about, you know, the key to a great marriage, some people will say, or, or the, um, the, the, the core of a good movie. You know, what's at the heart of every good company? You know, people talk about these sorts of things. The key to a good golf swing. My son and I played golf yesterday, so it's a bit kind of on my mind. But, you know, we, we, we do this, don't we? And I bet if, if I asked you about your thing, you know, whatever your thing is, whether it's, whether it's uh, dance or dogs or, you know, whatever it is, if I found your thing, you would probably tell me that there's some key or some essence to your thing too. You know, that if you kind of get this right, everything else falls into place a little bit. Wouldn't it be great if Christianity was like that? Wouldn't it be great if our, if our faith was like that? I mean, because sometimes Christianity seems like such a complicated thing, you know? There's so many prayers to pray. There's so many things to know and to learn. I mean, have you even seen how thick a printed Bible is? A lot of us don't even, you know, barely pick up a printed Bible anymore. It's all on our phone. But if you find a printed Bible in your house, you, the thing's this thick, right? There's so, there's so much in there to learn and to know. Sometimes it seems for lots of people like there's so many rules in Christianity. You know, it seems like just when you, you kind of think you know the rules and someone, you hear a new podcast or a new sermon or read a new book and sometimes there's something else that you've got to master. There's something else you've got to do to kind of get the Christian life right or to, to get right with God. Wouldn't you love to just find that one key? You know, like the perfect dough to make the perfect pizza. Wouldn't you love to find that one thing that would just make the rest of Christianity kind of fall into place and make it work? 
I mean, does something like that even exist uh, for Christianity? We're in the second week of a series we're doing on a little book at the back of our Bibles, uh, which is titled One John. Um, And last week, I really encouraged you to go home and to read all of One John. I won't ask for a show of hands uh, if you do that. But if you didn't do that, I really encourage you, even this week, um, to read all of one. It's literally five pages, uh, right? You can read the whole thing in about 15 minutes. Um, and John's famous for writing uh, really simple, simple English. Um, you know, there's not lots of complicated words or, uh, um, or really sort of academic understanding in John's writing, it's really easy to understand. I really encourage you, if you haven't yet, to go home and to read all of 1 John. Um, but a quick recap for those of us who maybe haven't got to it yet. Um, uh, 1 John is written by uh, John. It's the first of three letters that you find together right in the very back of your Bible, or just uh, a book or so before Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Um, or, uh, John wrote 1 John um, to a small group of of churches, and he wrote it around about 85 to 95 AD, which is sort of 55 to 65 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And we said last week that that's really important because it means that John's writing to the next generation of believers. He's not writing to people who actually saw Jesus and heard Jesus. Um, He's writing to their children. He's writing to people who are now uh, trying to understand and to live out Christianity based on the stories of people who were there, if that makes sense. And we said last week that most importantly, it's written to people who are a bit confused about their faith. A bit confused and a bit unsure because there were, there were some people we learned from in the text. There, is, there were some people who were part of the church or who were somehow connected to the church that were trying to teach or to encourage or to instruct people in some ways that John thinks are, are wrong, are pretty weird. And, and they were coming with some, with some other sorts of ideas. And so the church had the teaching of, of John and Peter and Paul, the, those who were with Jesus. But now they've got these other ideas coming in. And, and these, these young Christians, remember, this is, this is 300 years before they had a Bible the way that we understood a Bible. There was no internet. There were no podcasters that sort of thought this out for them. And so they're trying to understand it and work out how this whole, how this whole following Jesus and this whole life of Jesus things works. And now they've got these competing uh, stories and pictures and they're trying to make sense of these. And so John writes this letter to encourage them and to sort of refocus them on the truth. And John tells them at the very beginning of his letter, we saw this last week, he tells them really clearly that they can believe him. When, When they've got these different stories and who do we believe and what's the truth, he says, believe me and listen to me because I was there. I heard Jesus, I saw Jesus with my own two eyes, I touched Jesus. So you can believe me when I tell you this is the truth about Jesus because I was there. And so I guess the good news for us is that if you've ever felt a little bit confused about Christianity, if you've ever felt a little bit like uh, there's so much going on here and what's right and what's wrong and what should I believe and what should I, what should I do and those sort of things. Then 1 John is really a, a little book, a little letter that is written really for you if you've ever felt any of that. 
And John has two major points. A very short book. John has just really two major points that he hits on again and again in this little letter. And the first, uh, the first point he makes is that in his language, he says, God is light. He said, God is light. He says, in God, there's no darkness at all. And, and, and he sets up the truth about God with these other ideas. And so it's a bit like night and day, you know, like one's light and one's darkness. There's a lot of space in between them. And he comes around to that a number of ways, uh, but he keeps coming back to this idea that God is light. And this week, we're going to look at the second of uh, these, these core teachings, these core ideas in the book. And uh, any guesses on what that'll be? The first is God is light. Any guesses on what the second of these, these two begins is? God is love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've read this, uh, if you've read 1 John in any way, you can't miss this. God is love. In, in fact, um, I, I looked it up this week. I didn't count them, don't worry. I, I did, I did uh, a little bit of research. The word love occurs 51 times in 1 John. It's only five chapters, right? It's only five pages and it's got the word love in there 51 times. John wants to clear up any confusion about what's most important in the Christian life. And, and his teaching is really simple. He says, if you've got any confusion around what this thing's all about, the essential ingredient in the Christian life is love. Love God, understand God's love for you, and love others, all others. John is saying that love is to Christianity what good pizza dough is to a perfect pizza. Love is to Christianity uh, what perfectly cooked pasta is to a pastor. It's the thing that makes everything work. It's the thing that holds everything together. Uh, it's the priority. It's the focus. And John reminds them that it's always been this way. He's not making this up. It's always been this way. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. The beginning of their little church, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, the beginning of all time, John would say. This has always been the message. I'm, I'm not making up something new. Anyone else who is is making up something. Because the, the message from the very beginning has always been that we ought to love one another. And he says that love is what living in the light, what we talked about last week, love is what living in the light actually looks like. Chapter 2, beginning reading at verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Because like you stumble in the dark, get it? But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Love is what living in the light looks like in practice. And John will say that love is the core of the Christian life because love is the core of who God himself is. Chapter 4 verse 16 has this simple sentence. He just says, God is love. God is, you might have heard that before. God is love. 
He's saying love is at the core of who God is. He'll go on to say that love was, was at the core of who Jesus was. It was, the, it was at the core of Jesus' life. It was, it was at the core of Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' work on the cross. That whole thing, that whole story was all prompted by and all geared toward love. Chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. If, you, if you're unsure, you know, what does this look like? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John's saying the cross, the cross, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, is the ultimate demonstration of what love looks like. He's saying, I don't know what love means to you. I don't know what you think about when you think about love. I don't know how you would define love. But this is how we define love. This is how the Christian church, this is how those of us who follow Jesus, this is how we define love. This is our picture, our definition of what love looks like. And he draws a picture of Jesus on the cross and he says, that's it. This is what love looks like. Jesus laid down his life for us. And so a big part of this letter is John saying, so therefore, so therefore, if we want to follow Jesus, if if we say we're a Christian, if we say we're a follower of Jesus, then we have to actually follow Jesus. We have to actually follow his example and to love others the way that Jesus loved others. We have to live like Jesus lived and that means loving like Jesus lived loved if you keep reading the rest of uh, verse 16 in chapter 3 we just read this is how we know what love is jesus laid down his life for us there's a comma and it says and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters john isn't talking about feelings of love when john talks about love he's not talking about something warm and fuzzy inside He's not talking about an idea or a thought for someone. He's talking about a kind of love that is all about action. He's talking about a kind of love that isn't about what you think. It's about what you do. It's about the way that you live. Chapter 3 from verse 17. If anyone has material possessions, that means stuff, money and stuff. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He's pretty direct, John. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John's saying that love is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And it's not a, it's that kind of love is an action. It's not a feeling. It's not something we believe in or we think about. It's something we do. He's saying, this is how Jesus lived. This is is how Jesus lived. This is how God showed us how to live through Jesus. And this is the key for us living as Christians today, the same as it was the key for John's first readers, for how they were going to live as Christians in their day. Chapter 4 from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's kind of Bible, uh, Bible language for saying you're on the team. right? If you love, you're in this with God. Verse 8, whoever does not love 
does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son and as, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Atoning sacrifice, this is the work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's unbelievably clear and direct in his writing. Verse 19, we love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. Verse 21, he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. I know there's a lot of scripture, but I just I want you to see how completely uh, central this is to John's message to the early church. This isn't a one-liner, uh, you know, amidst a whole bunch of other one-liners. This is everything this letter is about. I've read you, uh, you know, about half of it. Uh, this is this is everything that this letter is about. John writes to people who are confused and unsure about what Christianity looks like, about what it means to follow God, about who Jesus is all about. And his number one point is love. That the key, that the core, that the heart, the essence, whatever you want to call it, that thing that's most important that sits right in the centre of Christianity and what it means to know Jesus and to follow him is to love others and I think if John were were rewriting his message to this church to Tide Church today he'd write pretty much the same thing I think John would say to us don't get confused about what it means to follow Jesus don't get confused about all the other things that people are saying because I mean now like there's so many churches aren't there there are so many books. You know, we have, we have entire Christian bookstores. You know, hundreds, thousands of books about every part of Christianity you could imagine. I mean, you could never read them all. Thousands of books we've got. There's, there's dozens, probably hundreds of, of podcasts. There's speakers and sermons and conferences you can go to. There's so many, so much input, so many messages that we can get about what it is to love God and what it is to be a Christian. And I'm not knocking down. I mean, a lot of that stuff's really good, and, and, and most of it's probably really, really well intentioned. But it can all uh, it can all add up to, to mean that it just seems so complicated to us. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it can be hard to know what to listen to. You read one book and you're right, right, it's all about this, and then you read another book and oh, now it's all about this. Do you know what I mean? You just kind of run from from one to the other. But John would say to us if he was standing, he would say, "Just I know there's lots of people saying lots of things, but listen to me because I was there. Listen to me because I saw Jesus, I lived with him, I heard him, I touched him. Listen to me when I say, God loves you so much. Listen to me when I say, I remember this is the same guy that wrote John 3.16, right? You know, God loved the world. So this is the same guy. Listen to me when I say that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to live for you, 
to die for you that you could have relationship with him. He literally sacrificed himself because he loved you so much. And if you want to follow God, if you want to follow the Jesus that I'm talking about, then you need to love others the way that Jesus loved others. That's really it, friends. This is the message of John. Don't overcomplicate it with a bunch of other things. This is the message. Love others with a kind of practical hands and feet love that puts other people first, that sacrifices yourself for other people. And I know that is not a popular message or a common message in our world today, but that is the message of Christianity. That is unmistakably the primary message of Christianity. And for all the stuff that you see in the here in the news about what Christians think about this and what Christians are saying about that and what Christians are doing about this, there is absolutely no question that the primary, uh, if you like, lifestyle and the primary action of Christians ought to be to love others. John is unmistakable in that teaching. He is absolutely as clear as he could possibly be that this is what it's all about. To the point where he says, uh, like, don't tell me you're following God if you're not loving others. He says it's actually impossible. In fact, the, the, the real words that John used, he says, you're a liar. If you're telling me that you're loving God and you're not loving others, you're lying. That's John's words, not mine. He says, so don't be confused by all the sermons and the podcasts and the books and the churches and the this and the that. He would say the truth about Christianity is simple. I'll read it again. John's words, not mine. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son and as, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the essence, the core, the heart, the focus of the Christian lifestyle, the Christian belief, and the, uh, the, the actions, if you like, of what it is to be a Christian. Thank you.